It's, it's wonderful to be here today, and I'm so glad to see some of the students from Loma Linda have come up. We have wonderful hiking here. Are you going hiking afterwards? Amen. You'll, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Thank you very much for coming. And uh, we hope you enjoy the sermon. And um, I myself have trouble with sermons. I often fall asleep because I'm so exhausted by the end of the week. Um, and the pastor actually spoke to me about that about a month ago. He says, you know, you're falling asleep during the sermons, and you need, really need to work on that. And, and I said, oh, okay, I will. And, and he goes, but there's going to be a sermon given on the 16th of April, and I'm confident you won't fall asleep this time. And I said, why is that? And he said, because you're going to be giving this sermon. <laughs> so here we are today. And... Um, the sermon I'm going to be giving is entitled Our Weakness and His Strength, and it's taken out of Desire of Ages uh, in the first chapter. And one of the nice things about, about each new day, about growing older, if I can say that, is that every time I read the Bible or every time I read uh, Great Controversy or Desire of Ages, I see something in there that I never saw before, and I'm astonished by it. I'm just going, hey, I didn't, I didn't know that was in there. And a few mornings ago, I was reading in Desire of Ages, and I find that morning is the best time for me. If I read late at night, I can read the words, but they just seem to go right over my head. I don't really grasp them all that well. So I usually like to get up early in the morning I got up at 5 o'clock this morning um, and uh, to, to get ready for the day. But I find early in the morning it's much easier for me. Now, not everybody works that way, but it, it is a good way. Now, I want to read two just two paragraphs out of Desire of Ages, and then I want to interpret them in a way that startled me when I, when I read this. This is from Desire of Ages, and it's the very first chapter uh, we're on page 22. It says, The earth was dark through misapprehension of God, that the gloomy shadows might be lightened, that the world might be brought back to God. Satan's deceptive power was to be broken. This could not be done by force. Now, this is a really important principle because in all of our transactions with other people, there's two, really two basic ways you can try to win them. You can either convince them with compelling argument and reason or whatever you, you can use to compel them, or you can force them. And God doesn't use force to win our love and our attention. He wants our willing obedience, our willing love. I mean, you can't force somebody to love you. In fact, if you use force, they will learn to hate you. So this could not be done by force. The exercise of force is contrary to the principles of God's government. He desires only the service of love, and love cannot be commanded. It cannot be won by force or authority. Only by love is love awakened. And this is, I mean, when men get married, they're usually completely clueless about how to be a good husband. At least I was when I got married. 
And it's a real struggle to, to realize that the only way that you can win your wife's love is to lo show love to her. You have to, it's, you have to invest, you have to sacrifice, you have to um, give of yourself. And then, hopefully, she may find a reason to love you. And let's go on here. It says, to know God is to love him. His character must be manifest in contrast to the character of Satan. This work only one being in all the universe could do. Now, this is an amazing statement because what it's saying is that only someone who knew the height and depth and breadth of God's love could make that love known. In fact, that's exactly what Ellen White says. Only he who knew the height and depth of the love of God could make it known. Upon the earth's dark night, the son of righteousness must rise with healing in his wings. So all the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees did not lift the people out of their ignorance and their misapprehensions about God because the scribes and the Pharisees didn't really understand the height and the depth of God's love. She goes on to say, the plan for our redemption was not an afterthought, a plan formulated after the fall of Adam. It was a revelation of the mystery which had been kept in silence through times eternal. It was an unfolding of the principles that from eternal ages has been, had been the foundation of God's throne. Now this next sentence when I was reading this really startled me. It says, from the beginning, God and Christ knew of the apostasy of Satan. They foresaw that Satan would rebel against God's sovereignty. And it also says God and Christ knew of the fall of man through the deceptive power of the apostate Satan. Now I thought about that. Now how on earth could Christ and God have foreseen that S Satan would rebel. He was arguably the most intelligent, the most gifted, the most knowledgeable, the person closest, the, the mortal closest to God. Now, how could they foresee that he would rebel? What was there about being wise and powerful and knowledgeable that lends someone to rebelling? I'm sorry? Why? Pride. Pride, right. And what is it? Jealousy. Jealousy for the, for the authority that Christ held that he did not have. Now, what else? Power, a quest for power. What other reasons would he have? What other good reasons would he have to rebel against God's throne? Me, myself, exactly. I know it's best. Now, when I thought about all these reasons that you've brought up, do any of us ever have that problem? Are any of us ever pride, pride, prideful? Are we lusting for more power? Do we have so much, too much self-confidence? We have all these same characteristics, and we're all selfish, self-centered. 
We think we know best. Um, I was talking to my boss the other day, and we were having a kind of an animated discussion about healthcare, what direction should healthcare be going? And my boss is a liberal, and I'm a conservative, so we have really contrasting views on this. And after arguing for about half an hour, my boss said to me, um, I'd like to agree with you, but if I did, then we'd both be wrong. And so most of us are very, very confident of our own opinions. We think very highly of ourselves. And I started thinking about that. If Satan, who was arguably the most intelligent mortal in the universe, rebelled against God, isn't it possible that I could do the same or that we could do the same? It's very possible because we have the same characteristics inherently. And I looked at it from the point of view of what are our limitations that make us susceptible to being rebellious? Well, first of all, we don't fully understand how the universe works. We don't know all of the laws. Uh, we don't know how everything works. And we often imagine false laws like there's nothing wrong with having another piece of dessert or all sorts of fallacies that we invent. Um, so we, we have a, a gift, actually have a gift for inventing false principles and false laws that generally make it okay for us to do anything that we want to do. Whatever we want to do is okay. So we, we don't fully understand the laws of the universe. The other fault that we have is we cannot predict the future. Only God can do that. And so we don't see the consequences of our actions. And we usually think that if whatever we do is going to work out, we have this, this foolish confidence that whatever we're going to do is, is going to be fine. I remember when I was 16, had just got my driver's license, and I had this old motorcycle that I'd fixed up. It was a racing motorcycle that They call it a cafe racer. I think they called they used to call it that when I was a kid. Anyway, it was a, a like a, a moto racing bike, and they were building a subdivision not far from where I lived. And there were no there was no traffic. There were no houses yet built there. There were just the roads. And I thought that would be a safe place for me to race my motorcycle. So I went blasting down this street, and it was kind of winding, and I was going about. 50 or 60 miles an hour, and I started going up this hill and accelerating and going as fast as I could. And as I got to the top of the hill, it was a dead end. <laughs> and so, and I just couldn't stop in time. And I hit both brakes and I started sliding sideways like this, and going down farther and farther and sliding down. And finally, the foot peg on the motorcycle hit the pavement and flipped the bike over. And I went flying through the air. By that time, I was only going about 30 miles an hour. And I went, I went flipping through the air in somersaults. And I landed on the ground. And it kind of curled up. And I rolled across in a ball. I rolled along the pavement for about 40 or 50 feet. Now, it just so happened there was a little kid who was walking through there. 
just as I go by and flip the motorcycle and go flying through the air, and he's watching it all. And when I finally kind of pick myself up and see if I have any broken bones or anything, he comes running up to me and he goes, wow, that was really neat, mister. Can you do that again? <laughs> so I, I declined, but... But the thing is, we, we have all these ideas. Whatever we want to do is going to be okay. It's going to work out. It'll work out. But usually it doesn't. You know, usually when we follow our own plans and our own schemes, things don't quite work out the way we think they're going to work out because there's a dead end ahead that we can't foresee. So that's one of our weaknesses as mortal human beings is we cannot see the future. We cannot see what's over the hill in front of us. And now, having these inborn mortal flaws, we are very likely to err. We don't understand how the universe works. We have false ideas that we create, fallacies, and we can't see into the future. So, but the, I think the biggest error, if I may say so, that Satan made is he doubted God's love. Once you doubt God's love, you're in trouble. Now, have any of you ever doubted God's love? Well, all of us have. Doubt is a, a, almost a normal part of being human. And every time you're fearful, every time we're afraid, we're doubting God's love. I think every job that I've ever gotten, I was not prepared for. Most of the jobs I've had in my life, someone came to me and asked me to do something, and I would say, well, I've never done that before. I'm not qualified for that. I have no training in that. I have no experience and no interest in that, and I, 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 I'm not the person you want. You want to get somebody else. And they said, well, well, can you just give it a try? And I said, okay. Well, they, like they made me treasurer of the church. I can't even balance my own checkbook, and they made me the treasurer. How ironic is that? And, but most of my life, I've been doing things that I don't know how to do. They made me a teacher six years ago, and I don't really know how to be a teacher, but you learn as you go along. My boss, I said, well, I've, I've never really done this before. He said, you'll learn. Here, read this book. It's only 900 pages. Read it by Thursday, okay? <laughs> Gave me two days to read this 900-page book. So anyway, when I, when I started teaching, so we, we, but the reason I accept these positions that I'm not qualified for is that I'm confident, <coughs> excuse me, that God is going to show me what to do. And I'm constantly surprised how often that comes out to be true. I mean, I was helping a student um, the other day they were having problems in the lab. And they saying, I just can't get this to work out right. And I just said, well, you just do this and this, and then you hold it this way, and you move this way, and you do all this. And, and after I was all done, I thought, where did that all come from? How did I know how to say that? And this, because I hadn't done this procedure for 37 years and had completely forgotten how to do it since I was in dental school myself and didn't remember but somehow, and I was telling the student to do things that I myself was not taught. I was teaching them a technique I was not taught. And I thought, where did this come from? How did I do this? 
And I, and I find that in my life that happens over and over again. I find myself doing things, and after I've done it, I go, how did I do that? Where did that come from? And I believe, I sincerely believe that God deeply loves us. He's promised the Holy Spirit, and he gives us divine guidance. In every problem that you face, God will be there with you. He'll give you the wisdom, the skill, the knowledge, the insight that you need to be a success in your work, whatever your work is. And that gives me confidence. And so I try not to be afraid, even when I'm facing lions and tigers and bears. I, I try to be hopeful that God will get me through. And he does. And so we need to banish fear because when we're fearful, we distrust God. There's a passage in Revelation, in the, in the end of Revelation, it lists all the people who will not be in heaven. What is the first personnel or first sin that's listed of those who will not be in heaven? The fearful. That astonished me when I read it. The fearful is not, not the, the murderers, the adulterers, um, the blasphemers. No, it's the fearful. And why is being fearful such a grievous sin? Any, any, uh, you, you just, exactly. You distrust God, and so you don't, you say, well, he's not going to help me. He's not going to show me what to do. He's not going to guide me. So I've got to take care of myself which is basically what Satan did. I'm going to take care of this myself. So when you're fearful, you distrust God and you take matters into your own hands. But when you're confident and faithful, when you believe in God's love, then you can rest in peace, hoping he'll carry you through this problem. Now, when I was in school, there's lots of students here today, when I was in school, I never thought I'd graduate from, from dental school. I mean, I started, I, it was a real struggle for me. I, every day was torture. I felt like I was being held under water all the time. You know, and as soon as you come up for a breath of air, you've got another two or 300 pages to read that night. I mean, it was this constant deluge of information. It was impossible. And I thought, you know, I won't get through. I went to my parents and said, look, I want to drop out of school. I can't do this. This is too hard. And, it, you know, I'm not cut out for this. And my parents said, well, why don't you just tough it out? You know, you'll, you'll make it. God will get you through it. And I, I can assure you that all of you will get through and that he will bless you and strengthen you. He will not bring you this far and then abandon you. He'll give you the wisdom and the skills you need to be a success. The greatest blessing you receive from going to school is not having that diploma, not all the knowledge that you've somehow crammed into your head. The greatest blessing that you'll have received at, at school is God's blessings. Because when you go out, he will give you wisdom and insight I was talking to a student the other day, and I like to kind of test the students and ask them what to do. How would you solve this problem? Now, sometimes they say, oh, I don't know. What do you think I should do? But sometimes they give an answer that astonishes me. 
And I said, where did you learn how to do that? We never taught you how to do that. And they said, I don't know. I just thought it would be a good thing to do. And when I hear them say this, over and over again, I'm reminded of the passage in the book of Daniel where Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were tested by King Nebuchadnezzar. And he found them to be, does anybody remember that passage? How much? Seven? It was like twice or seven or ten times wiser than any of the magicians or the wise men in all of Babylon. And I found that to be true. I found that when I'm working on patience, I sense that God is giving me this wisdom that I wasn't even taught in school, but he's showing me what to do. And it's a wonderful, I could tell you story after story about patience that I've worked on where I felt like God has tremendously blessed me. I mean, yeah, I, I was in the clinic on, was it just yesterday? And I got to work late. I mean, like I was really late. And I got there, and there was already another doctor taking my place, helping the student. And they were struggling, and they, and they were trying to get this crown to fit. It wouldn't go down, and they were both scratching their heads. And I said, I'll take over. And I went in there, took some like carbon paper, marked the sides, found out it was too wide. We just needed to narrow it down. And within two minutes, we had it down and seated, and everything was working good. And it was actually uh, tight on an inclined plane. If you have a interference on an inclined plane, it won't go down any farther. So uh, the student was really grateful. The patient was grateful. It was, he goes, the patient goes, thank you, doctor, for your wisdom and experience to know what to do, how to solve this. I know this is just a simple problem, but the student and the other doctor had been floundering with this for an hour and a half and couldn't solve the problem. Now you know how late I was to work. <laughs> but God has a way of giving you wisdom. And one of the things that, that warms my heart and gives me confidence is when you students graduate from Loma Linda, God is going to give you divine wisdom to know how to solve the problems that you're facing. And that may, is going to make your work much more enjoyable. It'll be a wonderful blessing. You're going to go home and thank God for the blessings you've received. Now, that's not to say you're, you're not going to have problems. It's getting harder and harder and harder to work in healthcare because we're getting more and more help from the government. We don't make decisions anymore. The decisions are made for us. It's getting really difficult. But, and so you're going to go home, and you're going to get discouraged sometimes. Sometimes I get really discouraged. And there was a period in my life a couple years ago that I would wake up every morning, and I would be depressed about the problems that we were facing. I could see no way to solve them. And if you, if you keep focusing on the problems, you'll get more and more and more depressed. And things will look blacker and more dismal. <clears throat> and I finally decided, I, I was actually getting depressed, that I can't do this anymore. I can't be focused on the problems. What I did instead, I would wake up in the morning and think about how God has blessed me. I would think about, what do I have to be thankful for? 
And I believe all of us have many things to be thankful for. I have a wonderful wife who loves me. I can't imagine why she does, but she does. Um, she's also, um, in my humble opinion, the best cook in all the whole world. She really is a good cook. My, we were in Bangladesh as missionaries. Gosh, it's what, been 15 years ago, something? We were in Bangladesh, and my wife is such a meticulous person. She's a nurse. She would go to the market, buy food in the, the little market stalls they have there in, in Dhaka, in the capital city. She would bring home lettuce, and she would take the lettuce apart and wash every leaf by hand in dilute Clorox water or something like that. She would wash every apple, every orange, and she would wash them in, in water that had been boiled the day before and cooled off. Because if you wash things and the water comes from the tap, it will kill you if you drink that water. We have a college over there, um, an Adventist college, and about one to three percent of the students die from dysentery or cholera every year from drinking the water. It's a real serious, the water is, is really contaminated. She would wash every, every fruit, every vegetable, and dry them off, set them to dry. It was a tremendous amount of work. But I never once got sick eating or cooking. Now, if we went to someone else's house to eat, I would always get sick when I ate there. I ended up twice getting Giardia lambia. Anybody know what that is? It's this little, it's like a protozoan parasite, fairly large. I mean, you can almost see it. If you have a really high power magnifying glass, you could almost see it. It's not, it's much bigger, it's probably 10 times bigger than a bacteria. It's still very, very small, but it turns your feces bright yellow. When you go to the toilet, it's just this bright, bright yellow. It's incredible. And you get sick and you're throwing up and vomiting and you have a fever. And I've had that a couple of times over there. But when my wife would cook, I would never get sick. But when anybody else would cook, I would always get sick. So I feel like if I hadn't married this girl, I'd be dead now. So the Lord, the Lord really knows what we need, and he knows how to take care of us. And so I, I get up in the morning, and I, I count my blessings. I'm grateful that I have a job. I have a twin brother that's currently unemployed. And I know lots of people that are looking for work and are out of work. I mean, it's a real struggle to find a job today. It's much harder than it was. I mean, when I graduated from high school, there were factories everywhere. They made electronics, they made shoes, they made all sorts of things. That's all gone now because all the factories are in China now. And so it's much harder to find a job now. I, I, was, I was trained as an engineer, an electrical engineer. And when I graduated, it was easy to find a job. And now I know electrical engineers that have had to move to Mexico or China to get a job as an engineer because they can't get one here. I have a brother-in-law who's got a degree in automotive engineering. He never found a job in that. And he's actually, I believe, going to be working for ADRA digging water wells in Africa somewhere because he couldn't get a job working for the automotive industry. So things have gotten to be really hard. But 
what I, is kind of a cure, a poor man's cure for depression, get up in the morning, start praying and thanking God for the blessings you've received. And that will help you to gain confidence to face the trials of the day. As you've all heard, Mrs. White said, we have nothing to fear for the future except we forget how God has led us in the past. And so rehearse those things. How has God led you in the past? How has he blessed you? How has he encouraged you? And, and that gives me the courage to go on. Now, once you start doing that, once you start counting your blessings and seeing the things, that how God has blessed you and how he's encouraged you, you start reali realizing that God has given you precious gifts. He's given you a school to go to, the wisdom and the ability to study and to learn and to do well in school. Those are precious gifts. And what I, since I started counting my blessings, I've noticed that not only has God blessed me, but he's blessed everyone around me. And I've noticed that everybody has three or four gifts at least. And then it becomes fun to try to find out what those gifts are and work with the people and try to cultivate them and develop them and encourage them. And that way, when you work with other people, you're not focusing on their faults. Any fool can see the fault in another human being. But it takes divine wisdom to see the gifts, the blessings, the talents that that person has and try to develop them. And when you, when you recognize someone's talents and you encourage them, they're like almost astonished. I remember working with students and telling them that they've done a really good job and that I myself couldn't have done that well. And, they, and the students would hear that and they'd start crying because no one had ever said anything nice to them before. It was always, do it over again. It's not right. It's not good enough. That's what they heard their whole life. But when you give them an encouraging word, it, it changes their lives. I've seen students' whole lives change because of an encouraging word. When you tell them, you have a gift, you have a talent, and you need to develop this. You can be a wonderful blessing to those around you. Now, I don't know all of you that are sitting here today, but I'm confident if I got to know you, that we would discover you have precious gifts through which you will be a blessing to others. So, getting back to <clears throat> desire of ages, God foresaw that Satan, because of his great wisdom and knowledge and understanding, would eventually come to be pride, prideful. And we have to keep in mind that we are potentially susceptible to the same problems. When you graduate and you have your diploma and hopefully you have a good paying job, you, you may be susceptible to pride and thinking, I have done this, I've accomplished this, I'm, I deserve this. And it, once you start doing that, you'll be on the devil's ground. Now, is that something that happens very often to Loma Linda graduates? It is. What percentage 
I, I've, I'm told that in some conferences, half of the graduates of Loma Linda University leave the church within five years. It's, a, it's staggering. Now, that's what's happening today. Now, it doesn't happen that way in all conferences, but some of them, a lot of the, especially the doctors, end up leaving the church because they're making a lot of money. They don't, need, they don't really need God anymore. They've, they can do it all themselves. So you have to be, remember that success may be your worst enemy. It may make you prideful and arrogant and self-confident. So be very cautious that when you graduate, you don't make the same mistakes that Satan made, that you become self-confident. I've learned that I am highly dependent upon God for, for any success, any wisdom, any skill that I have. I came into this world with nothing, and I'll leave with nothing. And I've told you before, I started dental school, and I was asked to go to dental school by two members of the board of regents of Loma Linda University. They asked me to go. And I argued with them. I said, I can't go to dental school. I don't have good grades. I'm not a good student. I have 10 thumbs. I can't, you know, I just, I don't have the hand-eye coordination to do that. And they said, we think you'll do fine. And they kind of encouraged me strongly to apply. And when I started, I did not have the skills I needed to be a success. But after a few years, those skills came. Because God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. If you're willing to accept the assignment, the risk, the burden, the task, he'll give you the skills you need. And I'm confident that each one of you will be given the skills you need to be a wonderful success and a blessing. That's God's promise for you, is that he's, you're not going to make yourself a success. He's going to make you a success. Now, so let us, I'll try to close here. But remember that we don't really understand how everything works. And maybe it's better if we're not in charge. And I remember about two years ago, three years ago, I hired a new employee. He only worked part-time. He was working like four hours a week. And then when the big boss retired, they took this part-time employer and they promoted him over me. And I was like really upset. I worked full-time. I've been here for years. You know, I had more experience than this. I used to do this. I was a missionary. It was a mission appointment director. And they, they chose someone else. And I was, like, really upset. But I was kind of grateful they didn't because there's so much paperwork involved, and I hate paperwork, that it was probably a good thing that I didn't get that promotion. And that reminded me of a saying out of, one, it's actually a book that I really enjoy. It's called the Tao Te Ching. It's a Chinese classic by Lao Tzu. And he says a lot of things in it that I think are in complete harmony with the gospel of Christ. 
if they're properly interpreted. And one of the things he said is, do you think you can take over the universe and improve it? Lao Tzu says, I do not believe that it can be done. Do you think you can improve over God's creation and the way he runs the universe? I don't believe that it can be done. I trust him. I think he knows what he's doing. And I think not only that, he loves us all very dearly. He loves us so much that he's promised to be with us always, even to the end of time. And he's going to guide us and strengthen us and see us through the ordeals ahead. And that is what gives me hope and strength and courage. And I hope that I can learn to be humble enough to follow his guidance and leading. Let us bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us, for loving us so much that you sent your only son to teach us, to show us how to live, to set an example for us, and to suffer because of our sins. Thank you for the many other blessings that you have given and that you continue to give. Father, I thank you especially for these young people who are here today, whom you have blessed with wisdom and understanding and diligence and skill and compassion. May they go forth, go forward, to be a blessing to all that they meet and all that they work with and all the patients that they serve. And may everyone see your wisdom and strength working through them and may they give glory to God for the blessings you have given them. For these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.